Good morning. As we enter God's presence for worship, I have a couple of announcements before we begin. Um, we are still looking for treasure, so if you know of anybody or have a desire for that talent in that, please let us know. Um, also, Sunday night Bible study, we're going to pick back up on the 13th of September. We'll be meeting at 5 in the Fellowship Hall, and we are going to take about an eight or nine week break from the uh, confession of faith. Um, I was, through reading, through talking to people, I was just struck by the difficulties that families and friends and people have had just interacting one with another throughout this um, uh, pandemic. And maybe it's problems that people have always had. They are just made worse through the stress of this pandemic. So we are going to go through a course called Relational Wisdom. Um, It's a a course by Ken Sandy. Uh, Probably 20, 25 years ago, Ken Sandy wrote a book called Peacemaker. Um, He has taken the the, uh, conflict resolution skills from that. He's done some more study on them, and he's put together a course to help keep you out of having to have the conflict resolved. So it's kind of a, 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 a proactive, um, Christian-based, how do we deal with the things that typically cause conflict before they cause conflict. And so it's going to be video and discussion-based. We'll watch a little bit of video. We'll talk. We'll watch a little bit more video. But it'll cover about eight or nine weeks. I do need to order some more study guides depending upon how many people are going to be there. So please let me know this week, next week at the latest, if you are planning on attending so I can order the study guides. But that's called Relational Wisdom, and that will be our Sunday night Bible study for the fall. Women's Bible study is going to resume on September 2nd, um, and the book is called Captivated by Christ, right? Mm-hmm. Yes, and it's a study on Colossians, and I don't know. Do you... Yeah, they have an no. Okay. Okay. Yeah, so if you haven't already, if you have not already told Michelle, please let her know so she can get the books ordered. And she needs to order them very soon. Um, the last announcement I have, elders, we will meet tomorrow night at 5 o'clock. And so please, uh, we'll be down in the fellowship hall. Are there any other announcements? Not. Our call to worship today comes from Psalm 34. It comes from verses 8 through 14 of Psalm 34. And hear these words that God gives us to call us into his presence to worship. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Fear the Lord, you his saints, for those who fear him lack nothing. The lions may grow weak and hungry. Where those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. Come, my children, listen to me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. Whoever of you loves life and desires to see many good days, keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking lies. Turn from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. Let us pray. Our God and Father, we thank you for this opportunity to come into your presence to taste and to see that you are the God who is good. 
You are the God who has entered into relationship with his people and desires to be near his people. And we thank you for the salvation that you have given to us that allows us to come into your presence to worship you, not to cower before you, but to worship you. And so, Lord, grow within us the fear of the Lord. Teach us to fear you while we are here and remind us that we are to desire what you desire. Lord, thank you for prayer and thank you for the prayer that you have taught us. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Please take Bible songs, that green book there before you. And I know as we consider the call to taste and see that the Lord is good, We desire to abound in praise, and yet we must abound quietly in praise today. So let us stand and sing Bible song number 72, Precepts for Childhood. We are all children before God and desire to learn from Him. So let us stand and sing Bible song 72. Please be seated. As we consider the fear that we are to give God, 
We are reminded of the call to love Him and to love others. And we're reminded that we fail. So let us bow our heads and listen as we hear this prayer of confession. Great Father, we come before You as deeply stained sinners who have not kept Your law. Where Your kind and generous law of love has called us to humility, we have been prideful to one another. We hide our weakness and brokenness so that we might not be recognized as the sinners we actually are. Where you have made a holy requirement of gentleness and patience, we have been violent and impatient to one another. Worst of all, where you have urged us to bear with one another in love, we have hated each other. Some of us by pointing out others' failures without grace and love, and others of us by rejecting and ignoring people simply because we do not care about them. Yet you have not left us here. What humble, gentle, patient love you have shown us in your Son, Jesus Christ. Jesus, thank you for the countless times you were humble and gentle with the selfish people swirling around you as you lived your life on this earth. Thank you for every time you responded to others with grace and mercy with kind words, with sincerity. Jesus, bring us near to your cross so that we can survey the wonder displayed there, that you would fully and finally bear our burden of sin so that we might experience unity with you and your Father and that we might truly find peace. Holy Spirit, thank you for conviction of sin and for the grand and beautiful gospel to which we may run when we see our sin. Help us to see clearly the ways in which we do not love each other or you, not so that we will be discouraged, but so that we might also clearly see the power and depth of Jesus' love for us. Conquer our remaining sin, we pray. Help us to want to see each other. Cause us to be humble and gentle with one another. Help us to be patient and enable us to bear with one another in love. May we seek help and seek to give it. But most of all, cause us to remember how our Father sees us, radiantly beautiful, dressed in the righteousness of Jesus. It is in His name that we pray. Amen. And hear these words of assurance from Isaiah 53, 11 and 12. Out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous, and he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will divide him a portion with the many, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong. Because he poured out his soul to death and was numbered with the transgressors, yet he bore the sin of many and makes intercession for the transgressors. Our New Testament reading today comes from Paul's second letter to the Corinthians. Comes from 2 Corinthians chapter 8, beginning in verse 1. Hear the word of the Lord. And now, brothers, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. Out of the most severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability. Entirely on their own, they urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the saints. And they did not do as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then to us in keeping with God's will. 
So we urged Titus, since he had made earlier, since he had earlier made a beginning, to bring also to completion this act of grace on your part. But just as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness, and in your love for us, see that you also excel in this grace of giving. I am not commanding you, but I want you to test the sincerity of your love by comparing it with the earnestness of others. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, so that you through his poverty might become rich. And here is my advice about what is best for you in this matter. Last year you were the first not only to give, but also to have the desire to do so. Now finish the work so that your eager willingness to do it may be matched by your completion of it according to your means. For if the willingness is there, the gift is acceptable according to what one has, not according to what he does not have. Our desire is not that others might be relieved while you are hard-pressed, but that there might be equality. At the present time, your plenty will supply what they need, so that in turn their plenty will supply what you need. Then there will be equality. As it is written, he who gathered much did not have too much, and he who gathered little did not have too little. May the Lord add his blessing to the reading of his holy and inspired word. I'm still tempted to say now will the ushers come forward for the tithes and offerings, even as many months as we have not been able to do that. You know the, you know the routine. We have the basket here. We have an offering plate back in the narthex. And the Postal Service is still delivering if you choose to mail. God and Father above, we thank you for all that you have given to us, and we thank you that you have been faithful to us, even through these difficult times. May we rest in that faithfulness, and may we have generous hearts as we consider what we are to give. And Lord, thank you for taking what has been given. Thank you for using it so that your name might be glorified in this world, and so that the light of your gospel might shine itself into the darkness of our community the darkness of our state, of our country, and even the darkness of the uttermost ends of the earth. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.
Please remain standing and take the hymn book. Turn to hymn number 316. More about Jesus would I know. That should be part of our cry, part of our walk, is to constantly want to know more about Jesus, to know more about the depth of his love, to know more about the depth of his grace. So let us remain standing and sing hymn number 316. More about Jesus would I know. Please be seated. Faith, belief is part of the Christian life, and we are thankful that we have a summary of what we are called to believe in the Apostles' Creed. So Christian, what do you believe? I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth 
I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From there he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of the saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Just a couple updates as we go to the Lord in prayer. Um, remember Jonathan Pearson as he goes. He has surgery this Friday on his back, so please keep him in prayer. Um, we've been praying for Tim Rice, Calvin's son, and also his Tim's son. Um, Tim's son test came back negative, so we praise God for that. Um, please continue to keep Carol and Bob Mankins in your prayers as both of them are just continuing to struggle with their various health issues. Um, continue to pray for Don and Donna. They are doing well, um, but please continue to pray for them. Continue to pray for Katie and her upcoming treatments. Pray for Sadie as she has a test coming up on uh, the 21st of September. And um, are there any updates or prayer requests? Much better. Good. Yeah. Good to hear. Any other updates? All right, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Our God and Father, we thank you for all the many blessings that you give to us. We thank you for the blessing of your Son, who did not consider equality with you something to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking on the form of a servant, becoming obedient to death, even death on the cross, so that we might have salvation. Lord, we thank you for that. We thank you that in the depth of our sin, in the depth of our depravity, in the depth of our inability to reach out to you, you reached out to us in grace and in mercy so that we might have salvation. Thank you for meeting each and every one of us in the way that you have met us so that we might have salvation, so that we might know reconciliation with you. And thank you that you have not only reconciled us to you, but you have reconciled us to ourselves. You have reconciled us to one another so that we might fellowship together as brothers and sisters in Christ, seeking to worship you, seeking to serve you, seeking to be more holy like you are. Thank you for the church. Thank you for the grace that this place is, the place where we meet, the place where we gather, the place where we worship, so that we might be edified both through our fellowship and through the preaching, teaching, singing, and praying of your word. Thank you for your word. Thank you for revealing yourself to us through the scriptures. Thank you for moving the men throughout those millennia to write down what you would have them write down. Thank you for inspiring it so that it would be preserved and so that we might have truth.
and know what truth is. We might have the truth of your creation. We might have the truth of your preservation of a people. We might have the truth of your salvation. Thank you for your word. We thank you for the blessing of our health. We thank you for the blessing of our families. We thank you for the blessing of homes and jobs and cars. We thank you for providing Emily a job. And we thank you for walking with her through that process. And we pray that you continue to be with her in that and as she finishes up her school as well. We thank you that Mariana is feeling better, that she's had this tooth removed. And we thank you that you have brought her relief from that situation. And we pray that you will continue to walk with her and bring her continued healing in that. And be with her grandson, Michael, as well. And help him in his difficulty with his liver. Help him um, in his hope for a liver transplant. We thank you for Jonathan and his family. And thank you for their farm and for the, the, the grace that you have given to them. And we pray that you... Uh, Be with the doctors as they operate on Jonathan this week. Give them steady hands. Give them wisdom in the surgery. And then be with him in his recovery. And strengthen his family to care for him in his recovery. We thank you for medical technology that can make things that used to be debilitating for the rest of our life to be a, a quick procedure and a quick recovery. Lord, we thank you for Tim's news with his son, that his son did not have the COVID virus. And we ask that you would continue to be in Tim's healing and continue to protect the rest of his family. Protect Calvin and Betty with their health issues. We thank you for their ministry to this church and their continued ministry in Lakeland, Florida, um, through Trinity Presbyterian Church. Lord, we thank you for how you sustain us even as we deal with the difficulties of getting older. So we pray for Bob and Carol. We pray for Rosalie. We pray for Tommy. And we ask, and for Jim, we ask that you walk alongside each of them in their different health difficulties and remind them that you are present with them, that you are always there, and that they are lifted up in prayer by your people. We thank you for Mike Fullen's life and for for sustaining him and strengthening him and healing him through all the difficulties that he has gone through. And we lift him up and ask that you would protect him from this virus and protect Doug from this virus as Doug cares for him. We thank you for Mitchell's call to serve you in the army. And we ask that you strengthen him for that call and strengthen him, his family for that call as they go throughout the world. We thank you for Nathan's call to Charlottesville and Christ Central Church there in Charlottesville. We thank you for the ministry that they have, and we ask that you continue to strengthen it and to move it forward. We thank you for your church around the world, that your gospel knows no boundaries, that Satan is still bound from deceiving the nation as the gospel continues to go through different countries. And we also ask that you protect the church in areas where it is persecuted. Think of China. We think of the Middle East. We think of India, countries and nations in Africa. 
All throughout the world, the church is persecuted, and we thank you for strengthening the church through that persecution. And we ask that you grow the church through its persecution. And Lord, once again, I thank you for your word. Thank you for my call to preach your word. And thank you for bringing these people together today to hear your word. We pray all this knowing that you hear, knowing that you love. And we pray in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Now is the time where we turn to and turn our attention to God's word. Today we are in Proverbs chapter 11. And we will begin in verse 9 of Proverbs chapter 11 as we continue to consider Solomon's wisdom to his son, specifically Solomon's wisdom to his son in how to bless the nation. And so please take with me your Bibles and read with me from beginning in Proverbs chapter 11, verse 9. With his mouth, the godless destroys his neighbor. But through knowledge, the righteous escape. When the righteous prosper, the city rejoices. When the wicked perish, there are shouts of joy. Through the blessing of the upright, a city is exalted. But by the mouth of the wicked, it is destroyed. A man who lacks judgment derides his neighbor. But a man of understanding holds his tongue. A gossip betrays a confidence. But a trustworthy man keeps a secret. For lack of guidance, a nation falls, but many advisors make victory sure. He who puts up security for another will surely suffer, but whoever refuses to strike hands in pledge is safe. A kind-hearted woman gains respect, but a ruthless man gains only wealth. A kind man benefits himself, but a cruel man brings trouble on himself. The wicked man earns deceptive wages, but he who sows righteousness reaps a sure reward. The truly righteous man attains life, and he who pursues evil goes to his death. The Lord detests men of perverse heart, but he delights in those whose ways are blameless. Be sure of this. The wicked will not go unpunished, but those who are righteous will go free. Like a gold ring and a pig's snout, is a beautiful woman who shows no discretion. The desire of the righteous ends only in good, but the hope of the wicked only in wrath. One man gives freely, yet another, yet gains even more. Another withholds unduly, but comes to poverty. A generous man will prosper. He who refreshes others will himself be refreshed. People curse the man who hoards grain, but blessing crowns him who is willing to sell. He who seek goods, he who seeks good finds goodwill, but evil comes to him who searches for it. Whoever trusts in his riches will fall, but the righteous will thrive like a green leaf. He who brings trouble on his family will inherit only wind, and the fool will be servant to the wise. The fruit of the righteous is a tree of life, and he who wins souls is wise. If the righteous receive their due on earth, how much more the ungodly? And the sinner. Let us pray. God, we do thank you for this word. We thank you for revealing your wisdom through Solomon, a wisdom that links to your law, a wisdom that teaches us how to live in such a way that we show that we fear you. As we consider these words today, open our eyes 
to the reality, to the truth that you would have us see, but not only open our eyes, open our hearts to it as well so that we might be changed, so that we might be drawn to pursue a life of wisdom, a life that brings blessings to others. And Lord, as I preach these words today, give me clarity so that your people can hear, so that your people can learn, so that your people can love you more and learn to live according to your precepts. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. It's important for us to keep in mind that chapter 10, verse 1, kind of covers this entire section. It gives us an idea of what Solomon is trying to teach, and it's the the balance between joy and blessing and shame and grief. Let me recall for us that Solomon says in chapter 10, verse 1, a wise son brings joy to his father. But a foolish son, grief to his mother. A wise son brings joy to his parents, but a foolish son brings grief to his parents. It's not just that the father has joy for the good kids and the mother has grief for the bad kids. It's a reminder that parents are grieved when their children are foolish and their parents have joy when their children are wise. And we see this back and forth between joy and grief or shame played out throughout each individual proverb, also throughout uh, each individual section. And and verse 29 today reminds us of the grief that comes from those who pursue foolishness. He who brings trouble on his family will inherit only wind, and the fool will be servant to the wise. When we see that trouble leads us to inherit only wind, we should think of the preacher in Ecclesiastes who says that whatever we pursue, if we pursue it outside of the fear of God, it leads to only vanity. It leads to nothingness. It reminds us that outside of the fear of God, our life leads to just a a brief vapor that has no effect whatsoever. But of course, the the teacher, the preacher in Ecclesiastes goes on to remind us that we must do all things in the fear of the Lord, fear God and obey his commands, which reminds us once again of going back to Proverbs. That's where Solomon began with the call to fear the Lord. And the one who pursues unjust gain, the one who pursues folly will find that they are servants, even though they think they are in control, and they will find that everything just comes to nothing in the end. But those who, those who pursue wisdom not only bring joy to their parents, not only find joy for themselves, but the picture that Solomon gives us here in these verses is the picture that we have in Psalm 1 of someone who is planted next to a stream. Their leaf does not fall or falter in the dry times. And they are a tree of life. Jeremiah says it this way in Jeremiah 17, verses um, 7 and 8. He says this, he says, But blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, whose confidence is in him. He will be like a tree planted by the water that sends out its roots by the stream. It does not fear when heat comes. Its leaves are green. It has no worries in a year of drought and never fails to bear fruit. Solomon says in today's passage that not only does the person like a tree planted by streams of water who himself is prosperous and bear fruit, 
but he reminds us that we are a tree of life to the people around us as well. We win others to the cause of wisdom. That's what he means when he says in verse 30 that he who wins souls is wise. Our wisdom, our pursuit of a wise life brings life to the world around us. We are like a tree of life to the world around us when we pursue wisdom. In chapter 3, the beginning of chapter 3, Solomon referenced the tree of life in the Garden of Eden. And instead of the tree of life, we chose the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. We chose our own way. We chose our own pursuit of life instead of God's provision of life. And we yearn for the day when the nations will be given access once again to the tree of life. And yet as we pursue wisdom in our world, we become little trees of life to the world around us. And the way in which we offer life that we will look at today in the rest of our passage is that we bring life through the blessing of words and the blessing of generosity. First, the blessing of words. Proverbs 11.10 tells us this. When the righteous prosper, the city rejoices, and when the wicked perish, there are shouts of joy. Both the wicked and the, the righteous bring joy to the city. It's like the little adage, everybody lights up a room, some when they walk in, some when they walk out. Everybody brings joy to the city, the righteous when they walk in, the wicked when they walk out. But how do they bring joy to the city? Well, they do it through their words. They do it through the way they use their words. And I want to look at this from the perspective of the wicked or the foolish. We're going to look at the negative side of the Proverbs today. And we're going to look at several different ways in which the wicked bring destruction to the city through their words. The first way in which the wicked bring destruction to the city is through the derision of their neighbor. It says in verse 12 that the wicked deride their neighbor. To deride somebody is a word that means to hold someone as insignificant, to hold someone as less than important, to despise that people, that person because you do not consider them to be significant, and to have scorn in such a way for that person that insulting words come out of your mouth. The wicked use verbal insults to communicate their lack of love for the other people of the community. They destroy the community through verbal insults, through demeaning words. Verbal insults can destroy a family. Verbal insults can destroy a community. Verbal insults can destroy a church. We must beware of having them on our lips. Secondly, the destruction of the wicked comes through gossip or literally slander mongering. They peddle in lies. They peddle in slander. Gossip is harmful information, true or false, about one person that is shared by another person in such a way that destruction of reputation or standing in community is brought about. Now, this is not confronting sin in somebody's life. This is not moving from the first step of Matthew 18 to the second step in Matthew 18, where you bring a brother or sister with you. 
This is the intentional sharing and the intentional attempt to destroy somebody by sharing malicious information. I've referenced it before, but C.S. Lewis in his essay, The Inner Circle, talks about every organization has a hierarchy. And there's usually a group of people at the top of that hierarchy. Think of Jesus in the Gospels. He had a multitude of people that followed him. Within that multitude of people, there were 120. And then there were 12 that were close friends. And then within that 12, there were three that were his closest of friends. But the thing is, each and every one of us wants to be within that inner circle. And there's a way to get in that inner circle without being invited. And that's to find a way through the sharing of malicious information to destroy somebody that's in that inner circle so that you can then replace them. The wicked destroy the community through gossip. Third, destruction comes through a lack of counsel. Here the problem isn't too many words, but not enough. Have you ever made a really big decision in your life? without consulting friends, without consulting family, without consulting God, and just have it blow up in your face. What makes it worse, what just kind of adds salt to the wound, is when a friend of yours comes along and says, you know, I kind of saw that going bad, but um, you never asked. You acted like you had everything together, so I, I, I just didn't bring anything up. A lack of counsel will destroy us. And we typically do not seek counsel for two reasons. Number one, pride. We want to be our own man. We want to act like an adult or be our own woman, if you will. We want to, we want to show the world that we have our stuff together. And so we don't ask for any help. We don't ask for any advice. Or on the flip side of that, we just don't think our friends are smart enough to give us the advice we need, which is related to pride as well. But it's a lack of trust. Do you know where this mainly manifests itself in the church? Now, this observation is not my own. It comes from a man by the name of John Anwuchekwa in his book on prayer. We do not approach God in prayer to seek his counsel for two reasons. The same two reasons I just touched on. The first one is pride. We think we've got it all together. We don't need God to give us the stuff so we don't pray for it. The Lord's Prayer we prayed for earlier. How often are we to pray for bread, for food, for for sustenance in the Lord's Prayer? Daily. Why don't we pray for daily bread? I got a job, I got a refrigerator. I've got Kroger, I've got a freezer, I've got IGA. My goodness, if Kroger and IGA are out of food, I've got Walmart up the other side of town. I don't need God to give me daily food, to give me daily bread. I just go, well, I don't go once a week. Michelle goes once a week and buys buys weekly bread. So really, I should only have to pray for it once a week, right? No. You know why I have Kroger? Because God gave it to me and God keeps it open. You know why I have a refrigerator? Because God gave it to me and God keeps it running. You know why I have a job? Because God gave it to me and God keeps me in it. Do you know why I have options to not have to worry about food every day? It's because God provides. 
And so I still need to provide and to be humble enough to go to God and say, Lord, I need food today. Even though I know it's in the refrigerator, I need food today. I need you to provide for me today. We get proud in what we have and what we think we can do on our own. So we don't pray for it. We don't pray for help with sin because we think I have conquered this sin. We don't pray for help in relationships because I am strong enough to fix the relationship. We forget that we don't have any of those things except by God. And secondly, we don't really trust that God can answer our prayers. Now, we affirm that God does answer prayer. We affirm that God is the all-powerful creator of the cosmos. We pray, we can affirm that he is sovereign over all things. He is under in control over all things and nothing happens except by his moving and by his hand. We affirm those things. We believe those things until we pray. What are you not praying about in your life? What needs to change in your life or in the life of a loved one that you are not praying about? You're either proud about it or you don't think God can answer the prayer. I hope each and every one of you pray for the growth of the church. But do we believe that God can really grow the church? Do we pray just once for the growth of the church and say, "Okay, Lord, I prayed for it. And I guess if you can do it, you will. So I'm not going to pray about it again. Or do we continue to go to him and say, Lord, you promised you can, you will grow the church. We do not seek God's counsel in prayer either because of pride or because we don't trust that he can bring about what he says he will bring about. So they destroy through derision, they destroy through gossip, they destroy through lack of counsel, and they destroy through bad financial decisions. I'm glad we don't have that problem in our country today. And the key to seeing this is in verse 15 in the word pledge. Pledge is a verbal word. Pledge is something that even though we talk about shaking hands in pledge, before we shake hands, we have to speak what it is. And the pledge here is to back bad debt. In chapter 6, Solomon warned his son against surety. Surety is looking at a bad debt and saying, you know what, I'll back that. I'll put my money behind it. Or even looking at a debt that could possibly go bad and saying, you know what, I'll put my money behind it. I'll co-sign on that loan, even though it may go bad. That can ruin a country. We had the, the housing crisis of the early 2000s was based, and this is a very simplistic view of it, but a large portion of its basing was the fact that the government mandated that banks back bad loans. And everything just crumbled. Once those loans came due and nobody could pay them. So while the wicked destroy the city through bad financial decisions, through lack of counsel, through, excuse me, through gossip. And then what was the other thing I said? Derision. We contrast that with the righteous. And we see three instances, each of the righteous keeping their mouth shut. And they're more righteous opening their mouth to help out, to see. And that's where the blessing of words come through, comes from. Is sometimes knowing when to keep our mouth shut. 
and sometimes knowing when to speak. And so, while the godless destroys his neighbor, the righteous escapes through their knowledge. They know how to get out of the situation. They know the words to speak to preserve themselves and to preserve the community. In verse 11, while the wicked are... Oh, no. Excuse me, verse 12. While the wicked are deriding and insulting their neighbor, the man of righteousness holds his tongue as does not join in. Man, it's, it's so easy sometimes, though. When all of our friends are making fun of somebody, it's so easy just to want to be kind of part of the group and to jump into it. But we show our wisdom by keeping our mouth shut unless it's to open it to protect the person being attacked. While the gossip betrays a confidence. The wise keep their secrets, keep their mouths shut. While the wicked do not seek guidance, the wise are advisors to help make the community secure. And while the wicked destroy through pledging to back up bad debt, the righteous keep their mouth shut and refuse to back up bad debt. And it is through our words that, or lack of words, if necessary, that we can bless our community. We either bring life or death to our communities through the words we use. And we are called in wisdom to bless our community with those words. Secondly, we are called to bless with generosity. In these next two sections, one beginning in 16, the other one beginning in 23, deal with the blessings of generosity. And the blessing of generosity is not necessarily on the community. It's not focused on the community. It's focused on the one being generous. While he is being generous to the community, there are benefits that come to him or to her as he is generous. And there's two benefits focused on favor with God and favor with man. Look in the middle there. Um, Excuse me. Verse 16 opens with a Reference to a kind-hearted woman gaining respect, but a ruthless man gain only wealth. Kind-hearted is a word there that in some translations is uh, gracious, but it has the idea of generosity wrapped up into it. It's not just a gracious disposition, but it's gracious with how they give. It's a, it's a hospitable heart. It's a giving heart. It's a, the woman gains respect because she is willing to give of her time, of her talents, of her treasure. It's, it's the woman in Proverbs 31 that we're going to look at later who, who has a focus on her family and her community, who does things to, to build up her family, who does things to build up her community. And in doing that, she gains respect. But the ruthless man, the, the contrasting there is that the ruthless man, the man who gets his wealth by unjust gains, who, as we'll see in a few minutes, hoards his wealth, Um, That's all he gets. No respect, only wealth. Now, it's interesting. Solomon also closes this section with a reference to a woman. And it says, like a gold ring and a pig's snout is a beautiful woman who shows no discretion. The woman, the person who refuses to be generous, who refuses to be wise with their words, who refuses to to seek the best of the community is like a pig with a gold ring in it, or a yeah, pig with a gold ring in its nose. Now, 
We have a certain affinity for pigs. Somebody asked me yesterday if I would wash their pigs for them. I refused. But we do have a certain affinity for pigs because we like pork chops. We like bacon. We like ribs. We like ham. But think about Solomon's instance here. Think about Solomon's context. Not only do pigs live in slop, not only do pigs eat anything you throw into the pen with them, but they were ritually unclean as well. For 500 years, the Israelites had been taught that pigs would make you unworthy to enter God's presence. Just touching one, not even ingesting it, just touching a pig would make you unclean before God and unworthy to enter his presence. How many of you think skunks are pretty visually? They are. Skunks are very pretty visually. But would you go up and grab one? Would you eat a skunk? Would you spend money to put a gold ring in a skunk's nose? That's the picture that Solomon is giving here. He opens up with a ruthless man who gains no respect. And he closes with a woman who has no love for the community. And he gives us this picture of a skunk with a gold ring in its nose. The ruthless man, the ruthless woman, only gets respect and you're wasting your time investing in them. The kind-hearted woman, the kind-hearted man who is gracious and generous finds favor with God. Look right in the middle. 19 and 20, the truly righteous man attains life, but he who pursues evil goes to his death. The Lord detests men of perverse heart, but he delights in those whose ways are blameless. The truly generous man finds favor with God. It was Paul's argument in our, in our scripture reading earlier today. Look at everything Jesus has given for you. Can't you be a little bit generous compared to everything he has given? He, he gave up life in the presence of God for a period of time so that we could have salvation. Don't you think we could give our little pittance, no matter how big our little pittance is, to be generous to our community? Because that's how, that's one way in which we find favor with God is through generosity to our community. Verses 23 through 26 talk about favor with man. One man gives freely, yet gains even more. Another withholds unduly, but comes to poverty. A generous man will prosper. He who refreshes others will refresh himself or will himself be refreshed. Have you ever truly given with a joyful heart? Not just the tithes. But have you truly been generous to somebody out of a joyful and grateful heart? There are intangibles that come back upon you when you are generous to others. When you give of your time to help somebody, when you give of your words to lift up somebody, when you give of your money to help somebody out of a difficult situation. If we truly do it out of joy of knowing that we are saved, there are benefits that come back to us. And part of those benefits are respect of the community. Now, we don't just do it for the respect of the community, brothers and sisters. Hopefully nobody ever sees it and we have the favor of God and we're content with that. But we do know that we get favor from man 
through our generosity. The favor comes because we value the community over our own wealth. The favor comes because we value God's glory over our own reputation. The favor comes because we reflect God's glory and his generosity when we are generous to others. We bless and bring life through our words. We bless and bring life through our generosity. Since you and I have been blessed by the words and generosity of Jesus, we should seek to bless our communities, our families, our churches, our cities, our counties, our states, our countries with our words and through generosity. Now, there are many different ways that we can bless our communities through our words and our generosities. And honestly, since we're in the middle of a really hectic political season, I jumped to that initially. But when we jump to a national level like that, which is important for us to use wise, life-giving words in our interaction with elected officials, we need to watch how we use the words at home. That is the place where we fight most often with using destructive words instead of life-giving words. I hate to have to admit this to you, but one of my ongoing daily repentances for the last two or three months has been, Lord, teach me to use my words within the four walls of my home in a way that edifies and lifts up, not destroys and tears down. And forgive me for the words I've used that have destroyed and torn down. The most basic form of community in this world is the family. And we normally seek to apply life-giving words outside of the home, forgetting that that's the most important place to start. Is to make sure that we are blessing our family with life-giving words. And men, I was going to say I hate to pick on you, but I don't. It's your responsibility to lead in that area. Whatever your family looks like, if you are the only person in your family, you need to speak life-giving words to yourself. If you have a a spouse or children in the home, you need to make sure you're speaking life-giving words to them, blessing them with life, blessing them with generosity. I'm not saying spoil your kids, spoil your spouse, spoil yourself. I'm saying make sure that you are giving adequately of your time. Make sure you are giving adequately of funding to your family. Don't deny them stuff if you can give it to them. And it glorifies God. Like I said, don't spoil them. That causes its own problems in the future. We should bless our families with the words that we use. We should bless our families with the generosity that we give. Ladies, you're included in that too. I just picked on the men for just a little bit. We are called to be generous. We are called to give life-giving words. God has been generous to us in giving us salvation when we deserve death. And He has given us a book of life-giving words. We are to bless our families through our words and through our generosity. Let's pray. God, you are great and worthy of praise. We take for granted the generosity, the life, the words that you have given to us. 
And because we take your generosity and your life-giving words for granted, we are stingy, greedy, and destructive with our words. Forgive us. Lead us to a path where our words bring blessing and life to our closest of loved ones. And then help us to focus after that on our communities. Help us to be generous within our own homes, with our time, with our talents. Forgive us for the times where we have been stingy and used our time for our own purposes and edification. And then, Lord, as we have time left over, help us to be generous in our communities as well. And Lord, remind us that there is forgiveness. Remind us that because you are generous, we are forgiven. When we stumble and when we fall, you still view us in the beauties of Jesus' righteousness. I pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. Our closing hymn today comes from the hymn book. It is hymn 298. Lord, speak to me so that I may speak. God has spoken to us in his word. God continues to speak to us through that word. And he does so so that we might speak life-giving words. So let us stand and sing hymn number 298. Lord, speak to me that I may speak.
you go this week, as you seek to live a generous life, as you seek to live a life of life-giving words, take this blessing upon you. Now may the peace of God that transcends all understanding guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. Come quickly, Lord Jesus.